The Bible is full of words and names that are hard to pronounce, like no one wants to get stuck reading a genealogy in front of a large group. And when we come across obscure words, we at least know they're foreign. We know that we don't recognize them, so we kind of start with a clean slate. Honestly, words that we do recognize can sometimes be the hardest ones to understand, the ones we assume we understand. I can gloss over them without slowing down or thinking about whether or not we actually know what it means. A good example of this is the word righteousness. I think I know exactly what righteousness is because I grew up using the word in church culture. Yeah, if I describe my friend as a really righteous person, what comes to your mind? What am I saying? In a normal conversation, I would think they're really pious, really devout. They probably have a tattered Bible, a big box of old prayer journals, and an accountability group. They probably don't drink or cuss or smoke, and I would guess they only listen to Christian radio. Right? There we go. That's the episode. You've got a solid definition of righteousness. Yeah, the only problem is that's not what the Hebrew word meant. The word tzaddik. While the idea behind our English word righteous is personal and pious, like being devoted and avoiding sin, the Hebrew word tzaddik was way more interpersonal and relational. It wasn't obedience to a moral code, it was faithfulness within someone's relationships, doing right by others. Yeah, tzaddik is sometimes translated as justice, equity, honesty, deliverance, integrity, and victory. There were a couple components involved, and I think the most helpful way to break it down is to start with God. What does it mean that God is righteous? So righteousness is an attribute of God. We see that in texts like Ezra 9.15, Jeremiah 23.6, Psalm 4.1. Righteousness is who God is, and that means it must be more than just obedience to a standard, because there's no standard that God needs to obey. Yeah, if we think about it, there can't be a law standing above God telling him what to do or not do, or else that law itself would be the real God. Yeah, the Lord has all authority, and that means no authority is higher than him. Nothing makes him act the way he acts. God acts the way that he does because that's who he is. And God is righteous. He doesn't have a standard to live up to, but he does have relationships, a lot of relationships. And God is always perfectly faithful to his relationships. God's righteousness then is his faithfulness in the relationships. That's why God's righteousness is connected to his saving action so much of the time. When God intervenes to save his people, he's expressing his righteousness. He has promised to rescue, so he faithfully rescues. So his faithfulness to that promise is righteousness. It's interesting. Sometimes I think of righteousness as drawing away from the world, becoming isolated from the world. But God's righteousness doesn't draw him away from darkness. It drives him into the darkest places to be faithful to the oppressed. He parts the heavens and comes down. That's right. So that's God's righteousness. Now, what does it look like for us to be righteous? We have relationships with God and people, so our righteousness has a vertical and horizontal dimension. Yeah, unlike God, we do have instructions to listen to. But even then, righteousness is not living up to God's standards. 
but instead it's living within God's good design for his creation. God wants to transform us into people who are restored, fully alive, fully human, with hearts awakened by his love. That awakening causes a love for others, and that love automatically fulfills the law. That's basically a quote from Romans 13.10. It says, love is the fulfillment of the law. Exactly. God's laws aren't random. They're a pattern. There's a pattern to them. They are prescriptions of what love looks like within this fallen world. So loving God, loving other people, following God's law, and living righteously are all essentially synonymous. They're like different facets of the same diamond. That's right. And when we love God, we by definition love those who bear His image. And practically, that means faithfulness towards our neighbors. So if a person prays for hours every day, never misses a quiet time, takes a vow of celibacy, memorizes the Bible, but then cheats his neighbor or stiffs his barista or slanders his coworker, that person wouldn't be described as Sadiq. Yeah, and that's why Sadiq is sometimes translated as justice. Faithfulness toward our neighbor looks like justice because God adores people. You can't love God and hate or oppress people. You can't love God and take advantage of the least of these, or else you are really actually oppressing God himself. Because God identifies with the weak. Their problems are his problems. This idea is carried over into the New Testament where the Greek word dikaiosune is translated righteousness. Exactly, the word carried a strong sense of justice. Other versions of the same Greek root word are translated justice and judges and defending the cause or pleading the case of a person. So really, to be righteous in the Old and New Testaments wasn't just a status of someone's salvation, but a whole transformed nature, a heart renewed to be faithful to God and others, especially the lowly. Exactly. And Jesus pointed out that even sinners love their in-group but our love is best displayed when it is given to those who don't deserve it and can't repay it. Let's look at some examples. When does the Bible use the word Sadiq? Sadiq shows up over 482 times in the Old Testament. To start with an example of God's Sadiq, let's look at Nehemiah 9. In that text, God's people are praying together, confessing their sins and recalling God's generosity in spite of their wickedness. In the course of that prayer, they say, You have been Sadiq in all that has come upon us, for you have dealt faithfully while we have acted wickedly. So when God acts faithfully towards his people, that's Sadiq. He was upholding his promise to Abraham, Moses, and David. The people, for their part, didn't even deserve God's faithfulness, but it wasn't based on them. It was faithfulness in spite of that generation. So that's for God, but what about for people? What does the Bible say about righteous people? Let's run through some of these. Psalm 37 says that a Sadiq person is gracious and gives. Proverbs 20 says that he walks in integrity. Proverbs 21 says that he enjoys doing mishpat, that is, restorative justice. 
In Proverbs 29, a tzaddik person is concerned about the rights of the poor. And Proverbs 10 says that their mouth is like a fountain of life. These all paint a picture showing how the righteous person's whole life is calibrated around the fact that God is king. In his words, his actions, his generosity, he is faithful, so we are too. Another common feature is that the Bible contrasts the righteous with the wicked. One example of this is Psalm 146. Yeah, in that psalm, we see God protecting the oppressed, prisoners, immigrants, the hungry, the blind, orphans, and widows. And then we see this contrast. The Lord loves the righteous, but frustrates the ways of the wicked. Yeah, the same righteous, wicked pairing happens a lot of times. And growing up, I got really confused by those passages. I thought righteous meant perfect and wicked meant extremely evil. But it's confusing because aren't we righteous through Jesus? But then total depravity says that we are also all wicked. What is the Bible really trying to say? So when the Bible makes this contrast between righteous and wicked, it's making a simple point. Righteous doesn't mean sinless here. The idea is that a person is repentant and pursuing faithfulness. And wicked here doesn't mean that the person crossed some particular ethical line, but the point is that he's unrepentant and pursuing self-interest. And the Bible describes him as someone who is oppressing the vulnerable. So when I mess up and sin, that doesn't mean I'm forever consigned to be one of the wicked. It means I need to repent and continue to pursue faithfulness toward God and others because I'm righteous and that's what we do. And that idea is true in general when the Bible talks about sinners. When the Bible talks about condemnation of sinners, it uses a special Greek tense or Greek nouns that clarify that it's talking about an unrepentant person, someone content to linger in their sin. Righteous people do struggle with sin, but they are not content in their sin. They fight against it because they love God more than they love their sin. When we look at Christ, he wasn't just a pious person who avoided sin. He treated people in a revolutionary new way. Jesus drew near to sinners. He befriended the type of people we avoid. He fed, healed, honored, and forgave. The cross is a clear example of Sadiq. Jesus took action to lift up the oppressed, undeserving as humans are. Jesus' love wasn't just a feeling, it was faithful action to deliver us, just like he said he would. That's really challenging, honestly. It's easier for me to set up daily rhythms of Bible reading and prayer than act righteously every time I interact with someone. Yeah, to me it feels like The internal, private morality is easier to accomplish, and there's some comfort in that, but true righteousness, most of the time, is really uncomfortable. Being a citizen of God's kingdom actually costs a lot, because in God's kingdom, everything works backwards. Yeah, we lead by serving. We wash people's feet. We imitate Jesus by bearing our cross and suffering for the people around us. 
Other people's problems become our problems. But Jesus is worth it. Jesus Christ, the righteous one, comes and finds us as we are, in our sin, completely enslaved to selfishness, and he saves us. His righteousness becomes ours, which means that by his spirit, he actually puts his own love for the vulnerable into our hearts. That's right, we love because he first loved us. He blesses us and makes us a blessing to others. He makes us his ambassadors, his hands and feet, his body. And then by his spirit, he lives out his righteousness through us. We'll leave with a quote from Isaiah 53 verse 11. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my tzaddik servant will justify many and he will bear their iniquities. 